That's right, everybody. It's Chris from Between the Four Profound and the Profane, which you can find on all podcast catchers and on iTunes. Please go rate, subscribe, and review there. It helps us out a lot. Unfortunately, I'm here to let you know that this will not be a regularly scheduled program of Between the Profound and the Profane. What you're about to hear is a quick solo episode from me. Um, just kind of, you know, sometimes I like to catch up, uh, kind of a state of the hours uh, podcast episode, if you will. Um, and uh, we are recording new episodes here behind the scenes. We're just a little bit behind schedule after getting back home from PodCon. So if you will be patient, the shows, all of them, Between the Profound and the Profane, Wide Angle Vault, and Title Unknown, will return before the end of February with our regularly scheduled programming, all the great topics, all the great movies, all the great paranormal investigations. We'll be back on the bonushours.com uh, shortly. But while you're waiting, if you could indulge me. Uh, I'm going to perform a little bit of something that I wrote. You can call it the state of the hours. So here it is. Your catch up on what's going on over here at bonushours.com. Thank you. Radio silence should just be called death in the podcasting game. Hey out there, it's your shit host of Between the Profound and the Profane, one part of the standing guard of the Wide Angle Vault, and head witch wear of the bonushours.com, Christopher Pocket Myers. We vanished a few weeks ago on way to Seattle to gain a post-New Year morale boost with a star chart so we could formulate a navigation plot to course over the next year. We haven't exactly returned. Home and safe is the best of what I can report after climbing down from that bumpy flight into Houston. Now, sitting in my office, unable to work in the ways I expected to, lacking the morale boost I so desperately wanted from taking my team to one of the best conventions I have ever been to. Lost in open water without wind or a way to control it, I'm patching holes and fixing sails that have been tossed into a storm, and my remaining crew are battening down hatches for another typhoon. I can't be frozen with indecision at these moments. I can't afford to escape. But, against better judgment. Many times, I've talked about my problems with escape here, as well as recently on another podcast, Everybody Has a Story. Links in the show notes. Uh, but it's a recurring theme in my life. Escape. I'd say from my 20s onward, but that would be a bit of a misrepresentation. I've been escaping for as long as I can remember. 
And thinking about being on Nate's show, Everybody Has a Story, I keep thinking of all the holes I could have filled in as he shot questions at me. The places that make sense only when you spend time with them individually. There are things that happen to you that you'll never remember, either because you bounced off them or they were so small that they never registered, that will change everything about the course of your life and how you react to the world. Mine just so happened to have happened when I was a seven-month-old child. On my father's 30th birthday, I was rushed to the hospital with a spiking fever and later diagnosed with meningitis. It hadn't occurred to me until I was nearing 30 how much that must have changed my parents and their newly forming relationship with me. I don't have children, but I do know parents, and I like to think I know my parents. I can only imagine the amount of terror and bargaining that ran through their heads. I'd like to imagine my dad trying to joke his way out of it, but crying in the room when the hospital grew still. Maybe that's a son's romantic idea of a stoic father that always had a smirk to share. No, the truth of the matter is that my parents probably had to sit and grapple and possibly, honestly, mentally bury a child they had only known for a handful of months. My therapist said it was a bit of a miracle that I exist at all. But I think that is a bit overblown. Even if it does rub that part of my brain that still fantasizes about the MacGuffin falling from the sky and telling me I'm the special hero guy and all the craziness up till now has just been my super cool powers manifesting in wild and uncontrolled ways. The fact that my first thought of my father when I imagine I was in the hospital dying as an infant, he barely knew. Making jokes is telling. Not of a cavalier and aloof dad, though maybe he was sometimes, but of a family that shared in great escapes. I think of my dad as this joking uh, in, in these situations because I, I survived that first brush with death and came to know him as, as that, as that sort of man who would joke at the worst things, uh, not making fun of them, but just making light during bad situations. It's a defense mechanism I inherited from him uh, and one I brandish as my identity, sometimes in ways that I really don't mean to. Sword of wit and shield of anger, artifacts blessed with powers inconceivable, and yet we bear them as curses to hide behind when we are uncomfortable. I can learn to use it better and would like to believe that I have started to learn how to use my wit and anger better. But it all comes down to escaping the current moment to be somewhere else. I'm hiding behind that shield. I'm hiding behind that sword. I'm escaping from whatever I feel is in front of me. Hell, even the overwrought metaphor that is leading us into these segues are just, are just lengthy escapes for my mind to turn through emotions that I'm really bad at feeling in typical ways. I have no full breadth of knowledge of my parents growing up how they were as kids, what their lives were really like uh, in their time periods growing up. And I'm not sure if any of us really do. 
or really ever will. I mean, we get the highlights and filtered stories suitable for how they need us as children to perceive them as an authority god in the household. Dad's stories always revolved around being a troublesome, if not precocious, mischief maker and farm hand who had his hands in sports of all sorts year-round. And as I got older, my mom would offhandedly mention that my dad tried hard not to treat my brother and I in the same way he felt his father treated him. And as all humans do, I suppose he came up short sometimes. My father and my grandfather are good men. What I imagine my mother was driving at was a level of expectation and push for ambition from your child, but often not being able to understand that we can't always meet the bar especially when it is raised arbitrarily. My dad liked sports. He was a professional bull rider, which is a goddamn crazy thing that I'm glad to say is part of my heritage. You don't jump on the back of a two-ton beast and spur the fire out of it for years because you're not trying to outrun something. If you're trying to escape your demons and wind up finding yourself, that is a pretty badass way to do it. But you can't tell me that you do something like that because you're not trying to outrun something, trying to escape from something, even if it is just yourself or what you perceive as your current identity or what the world perceives you as. Still really badass, though, <laughs> riding bulls. My mother doesn't talk about growing up all that much. Uh, she became a rather avid reader because of it. How or if my parents ever escaped the idea that their baby nearly died, I'll never really know. But from before I can remember, I found the truest of comfortable escapes in the rhythm of written words and the magic box on the mantelpiece where all my friends lived. There's not a time in my life that I wasn't trying to create a world to be in. My mother, being a sentimentalist, may still have a number of notebooks and stories I wrote as far back as three years old. I remember writing some of them. Others are from before my brain was catalog cataloging images and definitely before I had the motor function to hold a pencil, but written by my mother as dictated by me. So the story goes. That's what my mom says. Uh, and I have seen the notebooks, uh, strange stories of brontosaurus sheriffs in wild west towns of dinosaurs um, because that's the kind of two-year-old I was. If I wasn't writing my own fictions, I was reading them, playing them, or watching them. Being the type of too-smart-for-his-age dweeb that I was, I knew pretty early on that television and movies and books were written by people whose job it was to do those things, which led to me often uh, directing our outside imagined play sessions directing like 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 a movie uh as well as maybe playing outside in that way for far longer than i should have been i don't know when you're supposed to stop 
going outside and meeting the local neighborhood kids uh, to pretend that you're in the Pokemon world or pretend that you're Dragon Ball Z uh, and like run around the neighborhood and sit on people's stoops like they're Pokemon centers or hyperbolic time chambers and get yelled at to leave. But I did that for a while. Escaping into group-centered imagination games as a kid slowly gave way to being alone and 13 and wandering around in the woods with a notebook incredibly quickly. Running from what I didn't know was depression running from the weird terror of growing up for the first time. Escaping into some spot in the woods where I could hide what was left of my childhood in a circle of trees and keep it safe for all eternity. But why the hell was I wandering around in the fucking woods next to a creek at the age of 13? That is how children get murdered. Where were my parents? Think, Mom and Dad, I love you. <laughs> You had no idea that that's what I was doing. <laughs> In fact, you probably did. and probably did try to stop me, but I think that brings us back to that whole thing of you, they, my parents. You know, I almost died at a very, very young age. And when, I suppose, when your child gets that close to not being alive anymore, when they're only seven months old, it's hard to stop them from doing stuff. I mean, you know, you're here. What more can we ask of you? I don't know. Seems to be how my therapist thinks about it. And about the time I'm wandering in the woods to escape puberty, there is a sudden drop in my care for school or how they are trying to teach me or anything that is going outside of myself and what I care about. I escape from school into my stacks of notebooks, writing most days rather than doing classwork, uh, which would then keep me from doing homework because in my school, my uh, they, they would always hand us sheets to do during class. This is high school. They would, you know, so like math class, algebra class, they would pass out the daily worksheet. Um, and then if you didn't finish it, that's your homework. So I never did it in class, but it was classwork. So I technically never had homework. I escape from school into my stacks of notebooks, writing most days rather than doing classwork. Going home to be lost in video games, writing more on my computer, being lost in the cool waves of the early 2000s internet. LimeWire and RPG forums for everyone. The amount of viruses that, that uh, people who were teenagers in the early 2000s attained simply from trying to download uh, a copy of Lose Yourself, uh, written by Eminem. It's an astronomical number, and I'm surprised that we didn't stop the internet then. But shout out to people who are uh, in their 30s and grew up writing and learning how to write on RPG forums with other people who are now in their 30s, avidgamers.com. 
uh, was my forum spot. I spent most of 14 there. Great place. Great, great place. I should have known there was something extraordinarily off-kilter about me when I was 14, and I convinced a couple of dudes from school that a 16-year-old girl that I met in one of those RPG forums was being stalked and abused by a 30-year-old man. That is to say that I was convinced of this, and I got some of my school friends to agree to ride a Greyhound bus a few states over to some end. Uh, call it teenage horniness, but I want to submit that whether what I was convinced of was true or not, it is the lengths that I attempted to go to in order to live this fantastical version of it that are important to note. I'm still somewhat of a madman. And it wasn't long after that that the internet was taken away from me. It's not like you can be caught hanging with homeless people and jumping a bus to Mississippi because your internet girlfriend needs you to save her and still be allowed anything resembling normal teenage computer time ever again. And I think that if you were to draw the lines and connect the sort of weird, you'd never guess that this probably changed the course of how I do things moments in my life, it would start with nearly dying at seven months old and how that leads my parents to treat me with kids' gloves for the rest of my life, but never having the will to stop me when I do crazy stuff because he's alive and we've buried him once before, what more can happen? Subconscious effects. And it would make a big gash at the point where I try to save my internet girlfriend from her abusive cop ex-boyfriend. This would be 2002 to 2003 uh, that I lost internet privileges, and I don't think I fully gained them back until I was nearly a senior in 2005 to 2006. When the computer f was wrested from my hands and I had to quit internet cold turkey, like a junkie seeking a fix, I lost all focus on the other good things I was doing with the device. I just needed a new escape from my brain that seemed to just run with ideas and screams and words and visions and remembrances and replays of old TV shows, and I... I had always loved video games. And they'd been with me since the dawn of time, and the way they scratched certain it itches was, was brilliant. I'll never not see Super Mario World as the best first and most complex puzzle I will ever solve and understand with every part of my brain. It's ingrained into my DNA. And in 2002, I was on my computer more often than I was on my consoles. And thus, the game I most often played was Morrowind. It was something that often spurred my brain into wonderful tangents of creative thought, uh, coupling the alien worlds of Vardenfell with my absolute undying addiction to non-sexual role-play chat rooms and forums, and my entire day is nothing but thinking creatively and playing creatively and writing creatively. When my attention became fully focused on console games and the Xbox hit my bedroom, I lost my connection with writing constantly. Not with writing, but with the constant writing. And I was a full-blown teenager with a new reason to be spiteful. I started wandering the woods and building fires. Amongst other things that burn and pop and go boom that I shouldn't really mention because owning and setting off large fireworks out of season is a crime, so you don't even want to mention making your own. 
but we were 16. What the hell else? L. What the hell else were we all gonna do? This is where I ended up meeting some of my friends who you have seen on the podcast. Uh, Ian being one of them. My parents had to be a little happy. I had more than one friend finally. But damn if playing Halo all day, wandering the woods in the neighborhood streets with the weirdos from the LAN party at night and kind of just being loud, mischievous fucks didn't take away from being a focused individual. It's not that I wonder where'd I'd, where I'd have ended up if not for having my focus shifted from being able to write all the time to making friends that aren't on the internet. But at times, I can tell that it's the divergent path. I escaped losing my home online by making a new home in the streets of a lower, middle-class suburb. I was 17, and I hadn't even started smoking anything yet. And that's exactly where things go off the rails. Not truly, but there, were, there was no one at the head of the train keeping things on any sort of correct course. I'd hijacked myself, and things were heading for the worse. And this is the part where that I mostly circle around in my interview with Nate um, on Everybody Has a Story. Links in the description below. Go listen to it. He has a great podcast. Listen to other episodes as well. Please listen to my episode. I was in a toxic relationship with the first girl I slept with in my senior year. My friends and I started experimenting with harder drugs and never moved from our hometown. By the time we're 20, we're sleeping in garages and on porches and underneath suburban overpasses. I wander back to my mom's house on occasion, sleep in a bed every once in a while, but at this point, I was escaping the world outside, wholly. I was 20, I had barely made it out of school, didn't go to college, and was wasting my young mind on being nothing, seeking oblivion the way the moth seeks the moon. Since then, 10 years now, and for at least six of them, I've been off the shit and enjoying my time. A lot of my fears are tied into how much time I wasted by being so fucked up and not working or writing or existing for most of my 20s, and how in that time the world moved on without me. Reconciling the fact that the odd little boy who loved words and dreamed of one day being a popular writer has seen one day, turned to someday, turned to tomorrow, turned to today, and suddenly, all at once, 
one day has passed and you're a grown man. But maybe one day could still be in the future. If I can rub a magic lamp and work hard at it and make myself noticed. The bonus hours was built as a space for myself and those who I saw trapped by economic circumstance and brain chemistry to create their way out of it. Perhaps I am just screaming into the void. Perhaps we all are. Perhaps we always have been. But when I was 16, the ability to use your creativity and a camera or a microphone as a tool to further a career in the arts wasn't readily available to my hands. And when it was more available, when I should have been in college learning how to use it, I was lost in the wilderness facing down nightmares of the cosmos to bring back stories of the strange and wonderful to paint people who I am still looking for. Now, I'm 30 and trying to build things from whatever scrap I can lay my hands on, a grand pirate ship to make escape across the digital waves. A flamboyant crew of artists and performers at my side, I'm escaping from the hell world that is being dropped at my feet. By being creative again, and it feels like being home. Oh yes, dear listener, it feels like being home. If home is a place where people with far more power and money and influence are wielding life and death decisions and yelling voices while you listen to the same album on repeat and furiously type for days on end oh yeah it feels just like being home again so things have gone wrong out on our journey as they do on most journeys and I've not been coping in the best of ways. In fact, I've been handling it like an escape artist would. I'm I'm shirking my responsibilities to this show, escaping what happened on the way back home by playing Morrowind for days on end. But just like with all great escapes, it is a self-fulfilling stunt to find myself again somewhere out in the wilds. When I regain myself, I shall return with stories of adventure and loss. But until then, good night, everyone.
world does need your help so badly, very badly. And so on behalf of this world, <laughs> I would like to request you to come and do something about it. <laughs>